Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Katie Russell Newland. Katie's an Austin, Texas-based writer with a PhD in language and literacy from the University of Texas at Austin. Her debut book, A Season with Mom, Love, Loss, and the Ultimate Baseball Adventure, tells the story of her journey to visit all 30 Major League Baseball parks in a single season to fulfill her late mother's dream. In 2012, Katie survived a double diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma and melanoma. Since then, she's turned her insatiable appetite for learning toward cancer and related health topics and completed a year-long program to become a certified integrative nutrition coach. She's a sports and games fanatic who loves to travel and is now on a mission to see every major sporting events finals. When she's not watching sports or her favorite teams play, Chicago Cubs, New Orleans Saints, and Texas Longhorns, she can be found at a music festival, hosting a board game night, cooking a healthy meal, or playing pickleball. (laughs) Welcome, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, My pleasure. You know, you, you get to use the word journey uh, about your journey, people use that metaphorically, maybe a little too much, in my opinion. But you did go on an amazing journey. Oh my goodness! Uh, I don't know how many flights must have been involved in your quest to go to every single baseball field in a year, in the in a single year. But a lot, I think. It certainly was a lot of flights, over 30,000 miles traveled across the country, a lot of logistics. Uh, One thing about baseball is that if a team has two, uh, like New York, for example, has the Yankees and the Mets, uh, they don't play at the same time. So that makes it even more complicated because you have to come back a second time. (laughs) Well, true in my area, too, with with the Oakland A's and the Giants in San Francisco. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you 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 did make one trip out of that. I noticed in the book, uh, you yes. were able to make that one trip. But there was a lot of back and forth involved, wasn't there? There certainly was. I, you know, when I did the trip, I had no idea what it would become. I just knew I felt called to go on it, and I took my first step in Philadelphia, where my mother was from. Uh, It was her birthday by chance and also opening day of baseball. And from that moment on, I sort of let um, the ballparks come to me. So if a friend said I was going to be in a particular city or, for example, my sister said she had a presentation in Seattle and I said, "Okay, perfect. I will will take the train up the Pacific Coast, you know, after we see San Francisco and then we'll go see um, the Mariners. Mariners. Play. Yes, that's where my my uh, daughter, son-in-law, and grandchildren live. So oh, I know city. about the Mariners <laughs> <laughs> by serendipity. Um, you know, you you describe yourself in the book 
pretty frequently as I think you actually used the, the phrase type A, you know, a planner. <laughs> and so I was, I was putting myself in your shoes, deciding this to do this thing you felt called to do, but it, you couldn't plan it all out. You, you know, you had to kind of wing it or surrender or what word would you use? <laughs> you know, go with the flow, didn't you? Absolutely. I think surrender is a, is a great word. I think go with the flow is also um, a great word. My mom growing up would always tell me to just be, you know, just be Katie. And I didn't really understand what she meant. And it drove me nuts as a child. But I think what she meant was to sort of be in the moment and to be called to um, the present. And I think that's what I tried to do when I was, when I was, you know, visiting all the ballparks was to sort of let go. I'm certainly really good at logistics and spreadsheets and it got me through a PhD program, which was great, but I needed some help in learning how to let go. And I think this certainly allowed me to do that. Well, I was imagining, you know, as a mother myself, I was imagining her Six children, two restaurants, a an overworking husband, you know, a doctor who who worked a lot. That from the outside, it must have looked to you as a kid like, no, we need more planning. <laughs> but for her, what choice did she maybe have other than kind of go with it? Because <laughs> that's a lot to keep going, isn't it? It certainly uh, was a lot to keep going. I, and I definitely attribute my uh, planning skills to their lack of planning. <laughs> <laughs> it got your attention, huh? Absolutely. Of course, it, it impacts me uh, because of my own experiences with cancer. The fact that underneath this whole adventure of yours is cancer, hers and yours. And um it seems to me that I, you know, I've I've run cancer support groups for years. A lot of my clients have had or lost someone from cancer. So, and my wife died of it. Um, very relevant. And so, there is something about that making you deal with what's unpredictable, um, but then. Uh, uh, most people, not all, of course, as we know, most people do then go on and live, right? With after this experience of being out of control and having something very frightening and unpredictable happen, how do you think that might have changed you in the direction of embarking on such a grand adventure? Gosh, it's it's so true. I think... um you know, cancer certainly gave me all the perspective you're referring to of the, you know, you can't control it. And, you know, the timeline is unknown, outcome undetermined. I think a lot of people in the world just experienced that with COVID, right? Yes. Um, the unknown and, and, and what to do with that and, and the grief associated um, with that. And so, when I came out of my cancer treatment, I certainly didn't really process, I think, my mom's uh, cancer treatment in the way that I probably um, should have. I was in the middle of a PhD program and super busy and as we all are, right, with our lives. And, you know, we kind of put that on our emotional needs on, on hold. And when I completed my program and I completed my cancer treatment, 
you know, I thought, why haven't I done that thing my mom always wanted to do? You know, we wanted to do it and she couldn't do it. And, you know, I'm alive, so I better go and do it because I don't know what tomorrow brings and I don't know what the future holds, but I do know one thing. My mom and I loved baseball. And Mm -hmm. if I don't go and follow my heart and do those things, I'll regret it one day. And I, I, you know, my mom was unfortunately not, um, didn't survive her cancer, but I made it out. And I I thought, you know, I, I better make it count. I'd been given a second chance in life. And I, I felt like I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to really go out and live. And I, w- you know, there, the, the financial aspect of your story was not not laid out, but I was I was aware of it the whole time that to finish a PhD program, PhD programs usually leave people a bit destitute and in debt, right? Um, and then to embark on this thing, which you know, expensive, right? Um, it takes real belief that it's important to do it to to um, say yes to something like that. Uh, and I can think of times in my life I've said yes to things that to others seemed crazy. And they're some of the best things I've ever done. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things I learned about doing this was was just to say yes to things. And And you're right. I certainly was not in a financial position to do the journey. It wasn't necessarily the smartest move from an economic perspective, but um, you, you have to take a leap of faith, right? And and I think my mom was always trying to get me to do that in life, and I was more shy and introverted, and and I think it was the the say yes um, to what's coming towards you, and and that made all the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a documentary that was created of the of my story, and at the time, a friend had asked me, you know, oh, you know, my my husband's a filmmaker, and he loves your story, and could he come to Wrigley and, and videotape? And I thought, oh, no, no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people to think I have someone with a camera there. And I don't know. Nope, nope. I was so concerned about what other people thought. And my sister, I talked to my sister and she said to me, can you just say yes? And I thought, oh, okay. And I said yes. And it was the best thing I ever did because I now have this, you know, um, documentation of my story in a way that I, he captured it in a way that I would never have thought to do. And so it was a reminder about saying yes. I think, I think it was, was it Shonda Rhimes maybe who wrote a book about saying yes to everything? Yes. (laughs) She committed to it for a year, which is a long time to say yes. And there are certain things I know that I would have to make an exception for, right? Yeah. <laughs> we still have to have boundaries and all that. But just that idea of opening up to what could be and the and the kind of accidental wonder or magical wonder that happens as a result. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. The Year of Yes, I think it was the title. Oh, the Year of Yes. I couldn't mm-hmm. remember the title. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're you're uh you have a particularly touching um uh, way to start the book with this, I guess, acknowledgement or, or dedication to those who love the game, to those who've lost a parent, their way, hope, to those on a healing journey looking to find themselves, their purpose, love, 
to cancer survivors, to dreamers, to moms, especially the mom who loved me. This book is for you. And, you know, you were very disclosing about the deficits. I mean, pick your mistake. Every parent has one, right? (laughs) But you were very honest about your mom's um, less than helpful uh, parenting strategies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> a nice way to put it. Her shortcomings, for sure. <laughs> but but um, it did stand out. You didn't question ever. It didn't appear that you ever questioned that she loved you. Absolutely. You might not have approved of every way she expressed that. but <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> no, it's so true. I, I never, with both my parents, they were always proud of me and they always loved me. And while their parenting, you know, sh- strategies or skills weren't necessarily aligned with sort of my thoughts around it, they could not have loved me anymore. And, you know, I, I'm married to someone who's the oldest of eight And to me, a large family is a whole different situation. I have one brother. So, (laughs) you know, it's very, very different. And just observing them over 23 or four years, um, there's, there's a way that parenting is a different experience in a large family like that. Um, it, It seemed to stand out to me that you and your siblings are very connected in a way that maybe smaller families don't tend to be. I would agree a hundred percent. You know, my brothers and sisters in some ways raised me, you know, as you mentioned earlier, both my parents worked. And I think that we are so close as a result of the fact that, that they did spend most of their time working instead of parenting. And um, I think I'm so grateful for the large family I came from certainly. And, you know, I tell people all the time that if, each one of my siblings wrote a book or a memoir about their life and our parents, they, you would get very different stories about my mom and my dad, right? We, yes, we don't grow up in the same families, do we? No, <laughs> certainly not. Uh, were they all, were all your siblings and your, and your dad? Your dad was living while you were on this adventure, correct? Yes. Um, were they supportive or were they nervous for you? How did, how did your family respond to you doing this? And especially in honor of your mom. Sure. Yeah. They could be, they were nothing but supportive of me. And they knew that the thing that was special between my mom and I was our relationship around baseball. It really was the thing that connected us and bonded us. And the rest of the siblings didn't quite have that same love of baseball that my mom and I shared. And my dad certainly didn't follow sports. And so um, I think they honored that love between my mom and I around baseball and could not be more supportive. They were all there um, on the very last ballpark at Wrigley Field. Mm. And uh, that was certainly special to have them be a part of it. I have to say, too, it's not just that you and your mom shared baseball. It's that you took baseball very far, um, including um the fight to get included in a boys team because there were no girls teams. Do I have that right? Yeah, it was basketball, but you're exactly oh, basketball, right. but you're, <laughs> but, but you're right. Um, there were, there were certainly no, um, 
you know, teams that girls were a part of um, in baseball either. But my mom, um, there was a, a basketball league and, you know, there was no girls league and she encouraged me to go. And of course, you know, my siblings were a little worried and my dad was was worried, nervous for me too. But my mom pushed me to do it. And it was one of the best experiences or growth experiences for sure that I had as a child. I got the two morphed together, but it did seem to me that you played baseball as well as enjoyed baseball with a vengeance. I certainly played a lot of softball. Yes, I, uh-huh. I did. I, I loved it. And my mom was my biggest fan out there. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm in a, in a older uh, category than, than you. Um, but when I was a, a small child, my grandfather was the treasurer for the Women's Softball League in Portland. Oh, wow. And, and so whenever we would visit, we would go to the games. And so I have a little more softball experience than I always think about. But um, <laughs> these were some very enthusiastic female players, I have to say. And that must have been not even 1960. Wow, I love that. Um, so... You know, very, very uh, tough games, you know, playing all out, those women did. I still can picture it in my mind. So um, it's interesting that 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 then didn't didn't result. Are you a little bit before, uh, you know, the the moment where uh, women's sports had to be nurtured Title nine, is it? Title nine had happened, but it certainly, um, you know, was the beginning of sort of integrating and and treating women's sports in the same way as as the male sports was sort of right at the start. Uh Uh-huh. I think that that's uh, affected so many people I know because they were very oriented to sports like you and they couldn't find anywhere to play or anyone to play with. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So to, to have had the experience of actually being able to play, um, even if it was you had to fight for it sometimes, um, seems, seems notable. And perhaps as part of having the adventure in you to do this thing, which, of course, was <laughs> a big thing to do. <laughs> Let's come back and talk that talk about that some more after the break. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Katie Russell Newland, go to katierussellnewland.com. Be back soon. sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. 
Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Katie Russell Newland about her book, A Season with Mom. And, and Katie, I, I took a picture of your contents page and put it right in my notes because um, you found so many ways, well, 30 plus, <laughs> since there are 30 ballparks and then a few, uh, to talk, to begin with the word be. And um, I feel that's got to be, I'm sure you gave that thought, you know, that that, um, that was in a way underneath the journey that you took was learning how to be with, be, be period, yes? <laughs> um, but yeah. what, did it seem obvious which ballparks went along with which? state of being, you know, being present, be the light, believe, it, there are 30 of them, 33 of them. <laughs> um, was that kind of natural? Did it fold, unfold naturally or did it so, take some effort or what? Inter- interestingly enough, you know, when I, when I did the um, journey, I realized that, you know, I was really undergoing a spiritual experience, right? So whether it's a church or a mosque or a baseball um, ballpark or wherever you go um, to get quiet and to get still um, and and to be, right? To be with your thoughts, to be with your grief. Um, I am a qualitative researcher and I had just come out of a program that taught me how to do qualitative research. And so I approached the book actually in that way. So mm-hmm. I, I stepped away um, from going on this, this trip and I let it be for about a year or two. And I certainly had no intentions of writing the book. I, when I, like I said, when I went on, um, when I stepped foot in Philadelphia, I didn't know what it would become or necessarily why I was going. I just knew I had to go. And so the book kept, or the idea of a book kept coming back into my life, despite my, um, you know, I moved on with my job and 
And so when I stepped back from it two years later, I looked across all of the photographs that I'd taken, thousands of photographs, and I started to group them into categories and into themes that emerged um, from those images. And that's actually how I got the theme for each ballpark. So I would revisit the photos from that day. And I, I did some journaling and my notes from that day. And I went back to each game and reminded myself about what had happened that day on the field, um, as well as off the field. And that's how the the themes emerged. So that I didn't necessarily select them. It's almost like they selected me <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> That, that feels so familiar from so many guests and from my own experience, that sense of listening to something you don't know really where it's coming from, deeper inside of you or who knows, but listening to those voices and being able to tell the difference between that and, you know, some thought. Um, I, I think there's a different a different um, experience when something comes to you, when you're pulled by something, as opposed to when you try to make it happen. Absolutely. So it it sounds like a very organic process. It really was. And you were mentioning while we were on our break that uh, that has continued to unfold. We'll, We'll talk about some really profound ways that's happening for you, but you said recently your father had died and that there was something that happened in that process that's directly connected to this sense of saying yes and being and being available. Could you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, And I think this, this idea of um, waiting, like don't wait, right. This, this, you know, thing that came out of my cancer treatment of don't wait, go do that thing your mom wanted to do. And here I thought I had learned the lesson, you know, back then when I, when I went on this baseball trip, but, you know, my dad passed away um, just like two months ago. And, you know, when you re-enter that, that grieving process and, you know, it's certainly not, not linear and there's, you know, not a timetable, but I, went to go collect his things with my brothers and sisters at the nursing home. And we were going through them and I found his cell phone and I, you know, turned it on and I was the very last person to text him. And I pulled it up and I noticed the little blue dot next to it, which meant that he never got it. And I thought to myself, gosh, I was sending him the images of my sister's son, my nephew's wedding. And I waited 10 days to send them to him and he never got them. Mm. And so to me, it was a reminder, don't wait, don't wait to go do that thing you've always wanted to do. Don't wait to tell the people in your life, you know, who are important to you, how you feel about them. Don't wait to have those tough conversations or whatever it might be. It was a reminder again to me um, about not waiting. And at the same time, That is, you know, I remember when I, uh, after I was solid with my second wife, like maybe a year in, um, and she said, you know, we're not living in an emergency (laughs) because apparently I was like on it every minute, not in fear, but just I was used to living in this kind of, we only live in this moment place from living with someone with cancer for so long i had to relax a little bit too right (laughs) Um, (laughs) so yeah just be and uh and so there is that too that we will miss moments and we will not send the thing in time and how do we 
also accept that um, yeah. because that's that's I think of that you know my kids all have really really busy lives and I just pray they won't regret not spending more time with me. Is that weird to say? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> because not it's all. natural, isn't it? It's it's kind of unavoidable. No, exactly. You're right. You certainly are. I I there are many times in the book where you kind of talk about what came out of all of this for you. But uh, one quote that did stand out a lot, so I wanted to share it with the listeners, is, is this. I went in search of you, Mom, and I found myself. It is because of you and baseball, baseball and truckloads of therapy that this anxiety-ridden, fearful kid I've known for most of my life finally feels worthy of love. And the end of that sentence, I didn't know that's where it was going at the start, right? <laughs> but that is sort of the bottom line in a way. And I, I like the nod to therapy too, of course, <laughs> being, being that that's my life work. But um, that you can, that these experiences that seem like the worst thing ever can actually, uh, for me anyway, read, led my way out of having an anxiety-filled life. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, I think at the end of the day, when we move towards what we love, um, it, it at the end helps us to learn more about ourselves, whether it's acceptance or just feeling worthy, right? I, I struggled with that much of my life. And I think that at the end of the day, whatever traumatic experience we have, whether it's cancer or the loss of someone or, you know, the loss of a job or loss of anything, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, the choices you make around making sense of that trauma that will lead you to ultimately, you know, what your purpose is here mm-hmm. in this world and and who you are and what you want. Well, I think, I think, there's hardly a show these days in which I don't refer. I always refer to COVID, I, we, because globally, we're in that kind of circumstance, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Where this terrible thing has happened to everybody. And um, some people are trying desperately to pretend it didn't happen. And some people are trying desperately to get back to the way it was before. And for me, I'm trying to hold the faith that something comes out of it that's better, that, that we're going to make something out of it. Um, maybe I'm just inclined that way, but I think people who've been through terrible loss of whatever kind and then go forward, you know, actually um, – let themselves have all the feelings, go through all the experiences. Don't we, don't we at the end want something to come out of it? Absolutely. I, after my cancer treatment, I never wanted to go back to who I was prior to it. How could you, right? It led me to this scary thing. And I learned so much from it that if I didn't use what I learned from the experience to be a better version of myself, then it would feel for not right, all all the suffering and all Un- that unredeemed. Through. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I you know, baseball is the perfect analogy. I, I think about it all the time during COVID because 
Um, baseball is sort of the game of perpetual second chances, right? You can strike out a whole lot and still be a Hall of Famer. And you uh-huh. can, um, you know, one bad season doesn't determine your identity. Um, one, you know, bad game doesn't define your career. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us as we make our way through this, this new world and new way of being in the last two years. Yes, I don't remember which team or player it was. Um, sorry for the lack of memory on this, but um, it was someone who actually had done very badly. People weren't sure his career would continue. And then you were at a game where he almost uh, almost pitched a no-hitter. Yes, that was Verlander, Justin Verlander. Um, and he he's you know, had a hall of fame career and he, it was a, he was playing for the Detroit Tigers at the time and he's, he's moved around quite a bit. Um, and at that time he was having um, not a great season. He wasn't pitching as Verlander typically pitches. He had had some injuries and he was coming back from those injuries and he pitched, he was in a no hitter into the ninth inning and a guy came up to bat and uh, I was there. I couldn't believe it. And he hit a ball that landed literally on the chalk to break up his uh, no hitter. Mm. And it was such a poignant moment because I think it was a time where people, you know, as disappointing as it was for him, the other perspective was, wow, I'm back. Right. I just threw a one hit shutout. It it almost went all the way there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think about that a lot because there's a lot more talk about mental health and grief in general than there used to be. And, Specifically related to sports, there have been these occasions where, um, like Simone Biles, right, where she had to step away in the middle of the Olympics. And, you know, but then to me, the impact of that for many people was, oh, even people, uh, there were the naysayers and all that. I know that. But <laughs> but um, what I got from it was um, – Life isn't over when you have to um, come to terms with something terrible that happens. The next day is there. Exactly. I think it's one of the best things that have come out of sports recently is the um, communication and the speaking up of these big athletes who have a wide audience who are talking about their mental health. I think, you know, you mentioned Simone Biles and you know, there's a lot of NFL players, Calvin Ridley uh, for the Falcons just said, you know what, I'm done for the season. I need to go take care of my mental health mm. and the support that he's getting from his teammates. I think not only is it brave to stand up and say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to take care of me, but also it's brave for people to surround him and say, you know what? you're our teammate and you need to do what's best for you. And I think when you have both those pieces, when you have people brave enough to speak up and then people who support you in that act, that combination is going to help a lot of people out there who are afraid to stop and take care of themselves. And it, you know, the, the pressure got pretty high to, uh, I, I just imagine sometimes uh, what kind of pressure high-level athletes must be under when they're making so much money and they ha- they're vi- so visible and, you know, it's it's a lot of pressure. So, Absolutely. And just the uh, physical trauma to the head, right? And football or yes. in, in gymnastics and falling, like all those things play a role for sure. 
And and so I I kind of like the idea that we'll all look at people that are incredibly good at something, you know, and get to that level as also human, um, because that can really get erased, and then um, some bad behavior happens towards them. <laughs> so I'm going to vote for you know human a human approach to all that. And it seems to me that's sort of laced in your book, too. Uh, I don't think we're too far off the track that all kinds of different things happened in those 30 games, 30 plus games that you attended, um, including, of course, the the game you couldn't attend because you got sick, you know, along the line. Um, we don't know exactly what's going to happen when we when we go forward with anything, do we? We certainly don't. And cancer taught me that. I'm, I'm sure. And COVID's been a good reminder of that, that we don't really know um, the outcome or, or the timing. And you just have to sort of roll, roll with the punches, which my mom was always trying <laughs> to teach me. And I sort of. Oh, darn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she was right. How on that come one. you're right after all? But there's room for both. It's not a one or the other, is it? Exactly. I think I, I can't balance. imagine you got through treatment and a PhD program without some planning involved exactly. and some real attention to detail. Exactly. Uh, that's a whole other hour of the show, maybe, um, is how those two things intersected. Um, but let's talk about it a little bit uh, before the break, because you must be an incredibly determined person to have completed your PhD while being treated for your cancer. That's a lot to, a lot to go forward with. Um, did you have to take breaks or were you able to kind of be continuous? Well, luckily, I, you know, I did take a semester off so that I could treat the cancer treatment and process like a job, you know, like it was my, my priority, which was a gift in many ways that I was able to do that. And I still had health insurance with the university. And I recognized that that was a privilege to be able to take a few months of space. And so I did do that. But at the end of the day, when my treatment was done, um, I decided to go back and, and finish my dissertation, which was pretty grueling um, after having gone through all that treatment and, and, and being still. I had gotten something called Lermite sign, which meant radiation got to my spinal cord, and I couldn't walk without being shocked. And so, in some ways, I used that as fuel and fire to just sit at my desk. If I wasn't going to be able to walk around and live then I might as well sit at my desk and just crank out that, you know, 350-page dissertation. Well, that's sort of, in a way, where I keep ending up in my life and this show is, if this is the circumstance, what are we going to make of it, right? Yeah. What's <laughs> so, it an opportunity for? <laughs> what well, I mean, the opportunity word can also be pretty laden. I don't think, I, I don't think things happen four opportunities, but we have to make that of them. That's my view on it. Um, when we get back from the break, you know, you have a pretty splendid, um, uh, I guess, end to the story with the caveat that things keep happening, right? So, when we get back from the break, let's talk about that. I'll, I'll, leave, um, I'll leave our listeners wondering what I'm talking about there. <laughs> Sounds great. 
Listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com to find me or the Good Grief host page. And to find Katie Russell Newland, go to katierussellnewland.com. Back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health & Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health & Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Katie Russell Newland about her book, A Season with Mom. And Katie, you had the most splendid epilogue to a story that (laughs) you could have had, which was that when you were done with this incredible adventure you decided it was time to find your person. And uh, I, I hope you'll share the story of that because, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't write it better for Hollywood, but, <laughs> but your book's a memoir, so I know it's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, my last ballpark that I went to was Wrigley Field because my mom and I were huge Cubs fans. Having grown up in New Orleans, we watched WGN and, you know, the Cubs game every day. And so I purposefully left that for the last 
game and they invited me to throw out the first pitch, which was pure magic. It was also super scary. Um, but at that time, um, I had taken a photograph or I guess it was the next year I went back for the World Series, which was the World Series, you know, that they finally won after 108 years. And uh, I took a photograph there. And lo and behold, about a year later, I had finally decided to get online and put myself out there. You know, part of going through cancer treatment is is working up to the point where you feel like putting yourself out into the world again. You know, you lose your hair, you lose a little bit of confidence, you lose weight, you lose, you know, a lot of things, right? A lot of loss associated with it. And so I'd finally ready to put myself out there. And I'd never been online dating before, despite the encouragement of friends and family. And one Sunday, my sister and I did my little, um, I guess my profile and we picked, took all day. <laughs> we picked the pictures and did the whole thing. And one of the photographs that I put up there was the photograph from Wrigley. And lo and behold, I put it up on Sunday night and you know, all these matches came in and I looked at one and he had a Cubs hat on and I thought, hmm, okay. I'm like that one. That's the one I want to talk to first. And sure enough, we met up and uh, had a fantastic time and just, you know, connected. And my friends picked me up and they said, oh, I'm so glad you're finally on Bumble. And this is so exciting. You're going to meet so many people. And I said, well, why would I do that? I just liked him. Like he was great. Awesome. <laughs> I'm done. All done. I'm done. And they were like, what? And so yeah, that week I just, I turned off my, you know, app and the thing was- that never happens to anyone on Bumble, I'm sure. <laughs> right. I think but you, know, you, I- you put a lot into it. You know, some people are extremely casual. You, you really thought about what you wanted and took all day to say it the way you wanted. I did. That would think- that would lead in the direction of actually attracting the right person. That's right. Exactly right. It's I kept saying to my sister, is this me? Is this really me? What I'm saying here? Because I don't want to attract someone I think I want to be or I, you know, I think somebody else wants me to be. I wanted to make sure I was my authentic self because I think when we are our, our authentic selves and we're open to receiving is exactly when those things come into our lives. And this was certainly an indication of that. And he hit it off. And a year later, we were engaged and um, we're supposed to get married during the pandemic, the March of 2020, right when the world stopped spinning, it felt like. And so um, that that wasn't an ideal uh, ending, but it certainly worked out in the end because I got my person. I, I sort of liked the story better because things went wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense uh, to you, but in a way, that's real life, right? Cinderella is not real life. That, that story ends, you know, with, with the extravaganza. But life is about, okay, now that this happened, what do we, what do, we do next, Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the truth. It, it certainly is. It's about how we deal with the uh, the things in life that don't go the way. It's easy to to sort of go with the flow when things are going well, but it's how do we navigate those those times in our lives when they don't go exactly as planned, which when sometimes happens more often than not. And it seems such an important uh, relationship skill. You know, I do quite a bit of couples work and it seems to me um, 
it, it wouldn't make sense to commit to a relationship that's never faced a problem because you just don't know how you're going to get through it together. <laughs> it's, it's such a good point. And, and we had done couples therapy um, prior to the, when we were going to be getting married. And it, that certainly served us well as we navigated the, the cancellation of our wedding and all those, those plans in Mexico and telling people. And I think it was through the, the counseling and the, and the therapy and, and, and the support that we gave each other that actually in the end was, was one of the gifts coming out of it, right? Was, okay, if we can manage through this, like we got this, we got life and all that it's going to throw at us because it certainly will, is going to throw us some fastballs. Right. Yeah. I have, I have a niece and she and her boyfriend uh, lived in the tiniest one bedroom I've ever been in. It, it shouldn't even count as a one bedroom. It was that tiny. And they went through the whole pandemic about, uh, you know, in that spot. And then uh, a few months ago, they got a huge apartment uh, by serendipity. And when we went over to see the apartment, I said, you guys are definitely looking permanent because you made it through all of that. And, you know, here you are in this spacious, wonderful spot. And they were like, oh, yeah, we did do that. Didn't we? we have to notice those things, what we, what we survive and make something out of, huh? Absolutely. I think when we finally did get to do the, the wedding, you know, a year later, it made it that much more special. You know, all our friends, they, you know, were all vaccinated and we were together outside in Mexico and nobody had left their homes in over a year or their kids. And it was such a release for everyone. And it was such a gift to be in conversation with people we hadn't seen and family members. And it made it that much more special. Mm. And that would never have happened without the, the you know, experience and the pain of having to cancel everything. Mm, absolutely. I'm thinking about uh, my own mother, who I feel as if every year past her death, she died in 2009. Every year past her, no, sorry, that was my dad, 2013. Um, I feel as if I get to know her better uh, as a person, as a woman, as a whole being, Um the more time it is since her death. And I was thinking about that while I was reading your book because um, your understanding of her seemed to deepen along the road. Um, Is that your experience of it? And if it is, um, what really stands out to you in terms of what you didn't know when she was alive that you know now about her? Such a great question. And yes, I have so much of a better understanding of my mother than I did um, when I, you know, when she was here and and when she was alive. And she was certainly um, communicative and open in her her last days when she knew that, you know, her her life was coming on on this um, earth was coming to a close. And um, but I, I learned so much about her intentions and, and what she was trying to do um, in her parenting that I had no understanding of, you know, and couldn't, right, as a, as a child. And even my dad in these two months, you know, I think a lot of it comes to from listening to others who knew them well. And so 
having a book out into the world and hearing from her friends has Mm. been a huge gift because I can put out my story and what is my truth, but to have people call me that are her friends and say, you nailed her. Like you absolutely nailed her. You brought her back to life for me. This is who she was. And to give me this um, perspective of her outside of my family has been so amazing because I think we get so caught up in our family members and, and their identities. And we've known them, right, since we were little kids and to the present. And it's hard to sometimes undo or untangle those identities. And mm-hmm. so to hear from people outside of the family about you know what she stood for and what an amazing person she was. And I think that's really um, been, been so neat. And I'm, I'm trying to think of your last, you asked a, a, the last question and I'm trying to think about, um, remind me again what you said about, um, was it one thing? Yeah, I, I just, uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but um, <laughs> in the direction of, um, you know, I, I've come to a different understanding of my mother as, a person as a woman uh, over time. And I knew all the facts before, actually, (laughs) you know, what she did in her life. And she was also a a trailblazing kind of woman. You know, there's a great picture of her with all of her colleagues and they're all in, they're all men. They're all in suits. She's in like a, a plaid tartan um, skirt suit, right? (laughs) You know, she's really stands out. But um, it's hard to think of that journey that someone has made and fought for. Your mom opening restaurants, you know, um, opening two restaurants with six kids. Um, Somehow when, when she was alive, although I knew all the facts, I didn't feel it as separate from myself the way that I do now. I, I, does that communicate what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah, that does make sense. I think, I think I I took a lot about from her about um, she was a big dreamer, right? She was whether it was the raising of six kids or dreaming of opening a restaurant, you know, in her 40s. It wasn't something female chefs were not at that time were not something um, that you found a lot, and in a city where you know, restaurants were New Orleans were, were very popular. She went out there and did it. And I think for me, I, I didn't understand the amount of courage that mm. took. And I think that's the one thing that I now can grasp in a better way, because in, in many ways going on the, the baseball journey was took a lot of courage. And I would never have you know, written a book if I hadn't done, obviously, if I hadn't done the baseball thing, but because of the act of is incredibly vulnerable. Um, And I think she was more vulnerable than I ever realized. And I think it's when we are vulnerable and open to life serendipities that magic happens. And I think that's what really has stuck out to me about her. Well, the other thing I think I hear there, Katie, is that identifies you with her, you know, in a different area, but you both have courage. Mm-hmm. You learned courage from her without maybe entirely realizing it. Absolutely. You know, uh, but then later we can, we can identify it. We can say, oh, maybe I did get something from my mother, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> wasn't all my siblings or my dad. <laughs> she taught me some things too, right? Yes. <laughs> well, may we both continue to have adventures and not too many disasters <laughs> as we go forward from here. Uh, thank you for being with me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. You can find Katie Russell Newland and her book at katierussellnewland.com. Next week, I'll have Dr. Kate White, an OBGYN who wrote her book, Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss After Experiencing Two Miscarriages Herself. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.